After four years and two trials, former Jeffries trader Jesse Litvak has been sentenced to two years in prison again. Litvak was convicted of lying to customers about the prices of mortgage-backed bonds and sentenced to two years in prison in 2014. That conviction was reversed, but Litvak was convicted again and given the same sentence, although the judge upped the fine to $2 million from $1.75 million the first time. His attorney compared Litvak's tactics to the puffery of a used car salesman, but a chat transcript that Litvak edited to make it look like one customer had paid more for bonds was hard to explain away. Our guest is David Bissinger, a partner at Bissinger, Oshman and Williams. Dave, the second trial, Litvak was found guilty of one count of securities fraud. First trial convicted of 15 counts of securities fraud, yet his sentence was the same and his fine was a quarter of a million dollars higher the second time. Why? Uh, June, there's uh, about five or six reasons that the government gave and uh, that the judge in Connecticut appeared to agree with. Uh, first, uh, a lack of remorse. There were texts that were discovered by Mr. Litvak in which he uh, blamed uh, his alleged victims. He criticized jurors as, as being less than intelligent. Um, he uh, then moved to Florida, you know, established himself in what most folks would consider to be a pretty palatial environment, and just in, in general uh, appeared to show uh, a, a certain degree of arrogance uh, that the court uh, seemed to uh, agree with the government in its brief, uh, warranted a, 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 an upward or a, a greater uh, amount of sentencing, even though, like you say, the charge, uh, the single conviction was a far uh, you know, less of a victory on the uh, technical merits than in the first trial. Dave, what what sort of a of a message do you think comes out of this this conviction and this sentence? I mean, it you know the much of the discussion during the trial was about whether this was a commonplace practice what he, that he engaged in. You know, the the, the puffery. Uh, do you think other folks on Wall Street are are looking at this and and changing their conduct? Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty clear that the firms are looking at it very seriously uh, in terms of their compliance policies, uh, the way they manage their people. Um, and I think the counterparties, uh, for example, the insurance companies and pension funds and so forth that depend on uh, the Jesse Litvaks of the world, uh, are looking at the brokers uh, with you know a more of a jaundiced eye. Uh, but I think it's a mixed bag because uh, there there was enough evidence that Litvak and his lawyers presented at the trial that you know some of these same victims you know made misrepresentations of their own, and that some of these same victims were aware that Litvak was exaggerating, or at least that it was common for people like Litvak to exaggerate. I think it's really difficult to measure any uh, deterrent effect, but I think in this case maybe it's as much of a reaction to these particular facts by this court than it is any sort of measured or, or uh, you know, sort of statistically balanced uh, deterrence analysis. Dave, there are some more trials coming up of this nature, but Litvak started this crackdown on shady sales tactics in this opaque world of securities backed by assets such as home loans. Why were they able to escape any kind of investigations before this? 
Well, I think that there are a couple things that drove the Litvak prosecution. Uh, first was Mr. Litvak and the evidence itself. It was, I think, more egregious, perhaps, than in a lot of the other cases. A second driver that at least permeates in the government's briefing is the fact that what instruments Mr. Litvak was trading in were really a product of uh, TARP. Uh, in other words, the government bailout basically made all of this possible. And I think in the eyes of the Justice Department and then uh, either the jurors and ultimately the court sentencing Mr. Litvak, uh, again, I think as a subjective matter in terms of weighing the equities, uh, that did not help Mr. Litvak's cause. Whereas if Mr. Litvak were dealing with purely private parties in instruments that were pr- purely you know, privately created, um, it, it, I don't think had the same uh, uh, sort of uh, upsetting or offensive uh, quality that the government was able to give it you know, with the sort of bailout money, TARP money uh, generated uh, bonds that we had in this case. In about 20 seconds here, Dave, do you, do you believe that it's fair to use a person's conduct in between trials against them at a sentencing? Well, the, yeah, in a, in a way, uh, June, I think it is somewhat unfair, but I don't think that that's going to change. Uh, first of all, Mr. Litvak became a quasi-public figure. Uh, second, the government does have uh, the power to continue to subpoena him and get records. So as a practical matter, uh, I think anyone in his shoes uh, ought to have had a little more uh, uh, caution. I mean, even his own counsel in the briefing kind of acknowledged, I think at one point they acknowledged that his <clears throat> comments about jurors and stuff were flippant. Well, we'll, and, we'll let and, you go with that, Dave. And it's a pleasure to have you back on Bloomberg Law. That's Dave Bissinger, partner at Bissinger Oshman and Williams.